2: Three months ago, it seemed certain that the New York Knicks would be sellers at the trade deadline. But if the season ended today, Tom Thibodeau's squad will be a playoff team. There's lots of questions, and our team will try to answer them as we enter the most interesting trade deadline in the Big Apple in years. Hello and welcome to The Putback with Ian Begley, Trade Deadline Preview Edition. We are presented, as always, by 888-SPORT. Bet $20 on the Knicks or Nets and get 88 bucks in free bets using promo code SNY88. I'm Chris Williamson alongside SNY NBA insider Ian Begley, and we're joined by former Suns GM and Celtics executive Ryan McDonough, now an insider for Radio.com. And the brains behind Knicks Fan TV. CP is back. We are live on SNY's Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube pages, and you can get involved in the comment section throughout this entire stream. But first, we're going to kick things off with the baseline. And Ian the Knicks entered the night with a 21-22 and 22 record and sit at 7th in the Eastern Conference. In fact, they're just a game back of the Heat in the fourth spot in the postseason. How in the world did they get here?
3: <laughs> yeah, I think even some people with the Knicks, uh, you know, are wondering the same thing because this wasn't the plan coming into the season. But credit Tom Thibodeau, credit Julius Randle. And credit the group as a whole for coming together, particularly on the defensive end, because between Randall's play and the way this team has defended night in and night out, I think that's why you're seeing them where they are record-wise. And it starts with Tom Thibodeau.
2: Tom Thibodeau has done an instrumental job for this team. And CP, as a diehard Knicks fan, are you surprised we're talking about the Knicks as buyers right now? Yeah, because as you said, you know, coming into this
4: season when we acquired Alec Burks, we acquired Austin Rivers, we had looked at these guys as potential flips at the deadline for, you know, more asset building. But uh, we've already tied our win total from last year. We're at 21 and 22, about 29, 30 games to go. This, this team is playing with house money right now. You know, Thibodeau has these guys clicking on all cylinders. Julius Randle having an all star year. you having a bounce back second year from R.J. Barrett. Emmanuel quickly being a revelation in, in the, this previous draft. So you got to like where they are right now and certainly surprised to hear that they'd be biased at the deadline.
2: And Ryan, what, is, what do you think as the trade deadline approaches is the Knicks most pressing need at this trade deadline?
5: Uh, Chris, I just think backcourt talent, short-term and long-term. They're good on the wing. They're good up front. As Ian mentioned, they've defended at a very high level. They're fourth in the league in defensive rating. Uh, But when I look at the Knicks, I think the next step for them as a franchise is to add a high-level playmaker. Uh, We've seen Dennis Smith already go out this year. Uh, Derek Rose come back in. Uh, We'll see what happens with Austin Rivers. He may be on the move over the next couple days. Uh, But I think one way or another, guys, the Knicks need to address and upgrade their backcourt. But they're in a good position because they're the only team in the league right now with a significant amount of cap space. They have 15 million dollars to spend if they want and if they don't spend it in the short term they have as much as 50 million the most cap space in the league this offseason.
2: So Ian based on what Ryan just said is that does that align with the Knicks' strategy heading into the trade deadline or is it a little bit different?
3: Well so what I had heard just from teams in touch with the Knicks going as far back as a couple weeks ago and as recently as late last week was that they were not in a rush to make a big move. They weren't, you know, comfortable with taking a huge swing at the deadline, meaning sending out significant assets, you know, a couple first-round picks, a couple young players for a top player at the trade deadline. And, and the name that you know was brought up was Victor Oladipo. And I think uh, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski subsequently reported that the Knicks, you know, having put together a package that's compelling for Houston. So I don't think they were ever in that that Oladipo lane where they're going to take that big swing. Now, are there other you know, incremental moves that they're looking at. I think that's the case. I think, you know, they're keeping an eye on the price tags for for certain players around the league. But I don't think you're going to see that big swing before Thursday at 3 p.m. for the Knicks. So if you're a fan who's looking to hit a big star at the deadline, I think you might be disappointed.
2: Yeah, Knicks fans, they should be patient. You know, making a big splash or not making a big splash is probably a sign of success because they don't have to make that big, significant change given where they are in the season. All right, let's get into some specifics. And once again, write your questions in the comments section for Ian, CP, and Ryan, and we'll get to them all throughout the show. And Ian, one name you reported recently on SNY.TV that could be a fit for the Knicks is Evan Fournier. What's the latest on the potential talks between the Nets and the Magic?
3: Well, actually, for the, for the Knicks, from a Knicks perspective, they, I know they spoke, I think it was late last week, about Fournier and, and you know, there was – There was talks to the point where, you know, there was, uh, you know, not a deal in place, but there were certainly uh, players on the Knicks side that the Magic had wanted. So they got to that place with talks, but I don't know if they'd gotten any further than that. And it kind of brings me to another general point that I had heard from some teams in touch with the Knicks. I think one factor here with the Knicks and what they're thinking at the deadline is, do we want to interrupt this chemistry that this group has developed? I mean, they've they've outperformed expectations and they've done it as a cohesive unit. So I think one concern for the Knicks, at least one thing they're thinking about is You know, do we want to to interrupt that? Do we want to potentially hurt that by dealing somebody who is in the rotation and, and, you know, having someone come in and having them have to get used to everything here in New York? So I'm not saying they're not going to make a deal because of that, but that is one factor here. I don't know if that played into what they're thinking on Fournier, but Fournier is certainly going to be available uh, up until the deadline, up until somebody makes a deal with the Magic.
2: So, Ryan, do you think Fournier would be a good fit And how much would the Knicks have to give up realistically to just to get them?
5: Yeah, Chris, here's the challenge from a front office perspective. Uh, and the Knicks are dealing from a position of strength here because, as I mentioned, they have cap space in the in the short term. So that means they can take back more salary in a trade than they send out. Uh, but they also have a lot of cap space next offseason. Um, so the, the, the challenge and the question becomes, from a front office perspective, how much value do you want to give up for Evan Fournier when you can just wait and sign him as a free agent uh, this offseason? So I, I think that's what Leon Rose and his staff are looking at. Uh, I'm sure they would like to add Fournier. It'd certainly help them in the, in the short Short-term, uh, I mentioned they could use some offensive help in the backcourt in particular, uh, but you don't want to give up too much value to get a player that you can just sign uh, a few months from now while retaining your young players, draft picks, and other assets.
2: And the other thing is Fournier has been injury-prone this year with groin and back injury, so you don't know how healthy he's going to be You know, if he were to get traded. And CP, are there any bigger name pieces in your mind who really intrigue you that could be available this week? Well, I
4: don't. Bradley Beal certainly not going to be available, as we talked about on on the uh, pre-show. But I'm thinking along the lines of Alonzo Ball, you know, a guy like that, 14 and 5 on the campaign, shooting 38% from three, 46% from the corner. Something that uh, Tom Thibodeau has stressed this season. Obviously, he's going to give you that defense. You put Alonzo and RJ in the backcourt. You add some plus defenders in that backcourt, especially on the perimeter. Alonzo's going to be able to push the pace for you. Nick's last in the league in transition buckets. And so I think Lonzo would would be ideal. But when you look at Lonzo, when you look at Fournier, you look at Oladipo, these are guys that are going to be free agents or restricted free agents going into the offseason. So these are kind of rental situations. And I think it it would behoove the Knicks to just play it smart, you know, pick up the phone, see what's going on, test the markets. But, you know, don't don't be in a panic. Don't be in a rush to, to
2: make any type of moves. And speaking of Lonzo, Ian, last week on the putback, you addressed a potential Knicks-Pelicans matchup when it comes to J.J. Redick and Lonzo Ball. What's the latest on those two names as we look ahead to the trade deadline?
3: Yeah, Chris, before I get to that, I just want to say, CP, the franchise, one of my favorite battles right now is not between two NBA teams. It's between you and ESPN's Max Kellerman. I think we're at round five there in that heavyweight slugfest. I think we're all enjoying watching that. Uh, certainly keep it up. But with regards to Lonzo, you know, I had you know, asked a lot about this to other teams. And I think that even team uh, people close to players with the Knicks, I think they can, the consensus was there is no consensus on Lonzo in terms of how the Knicks feel about him. I think that there are people on both sides of the fence. There had been at least uh, as, late of, as late as late last week that there just wasn't a consensus on Lonzo. And I think the question the Knicks would ask themselves and any team would ask themselves is, is Lonzo our guy for the future? Is he our point guard for the future for the, this next iteration of this Knicks team? And, again, I don't think there was a consensus there. I think there's an, there's an appetite for different point guards, um, you know, maybe this offseason. So I think other point guards are in the mix there too. So I'm not saying the Knicks, you know, have zero interest in Lonzo Ball, but I, I don't think there's this, like, huge uh, groundswell of 100% support in the organization for trading for Lonzo.
2: And Ryan Lonzo has been playing, really lights out, especially, you know, from a facilitating standpoint, about six assists per game, also a career high, 14.2 points on the year. What would you give up to get him if you're the Knicks?
5: Well, I, I think the players the Knicks will make available or are available over the next couple days are guys like Frank Nicoltina, Alfred Payton, uh, Kevin Knox may be their best trade ship, and then uh, at a lesser level, Austin Rivers. I think it's likely that Austin has moved over the next couple days. Uh, so those are the guys that New York would offer. Um, now, what would New Orleans accept, Chris? I, I think that's the bigger question. Um, they have a talented young core, but I, I think they've been one of the more underachieving teams in the league this year uh, with Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, and others. They're still below 500, not in the playing scenario right now in the Western Conference. Um, so the question for Nix is, is is two parts if you're in the front office. One is, do we want Lonzo and what are we willing to give up to get him in a trade? And the second is, what are we willing to pay him in free agency? Uh, because he will be a restricted free agent. Uh, however, unlike a guy like Victor Oladipo or Kyle Lowry, if you trade for for Lonzo or another restricted free agent, you have matching rights. So as a front office, you control whether you have the player long term or not.
2: And Ian Rommel on Twitter says adding Lonzo and Fournier will secure a top six spot. Playoffs are essential to growth and culture. What is your reaction to that statement?
3: I mean, it makes sense. I don't know if it secures a top six spot, but it certainly I think improves your roster. And I say that because of the way Lonzo has been shooting the ball lately. I know early on, uh, he didn't start the season off shooting well, but more recently CP mentioned the stats. He's been shooting the ball really well, so I think he can help them. Uh, and I think obviously Fournier brings what he brings, which is shooting. So certainly you had those two. You you would think the Knicks are in better chance to make the playoffs uh, with those two. But it, it, as Ryan said, what's the cost? And then what is your long term thinking on Lonzo or an Evan Fournier? And are you willing to give up a lot for Fournier or whatever it takes for Fournier with the idea that he's just going to walk in the offseason and you're okay with that? And, and your thoughts on Lonzo, like how do you value him? So, yes, short term, certainly it makes sense. But I think this front office, like all front offices, is also considering the big picture here as we approach the trade deadline.
2: Right, and that's a smarter approach than just looking for that short-term fix when it may not last that long. You want to build sustainability. And, CP, I want to go to you next. Uh, Nick's Junkie on Twitter says, Norman Powell would be a nice pickup. This is a guy who's averaging well over 19 points a game for the Raptors. What do you think?
4: He stepped his game up, man. As you said, 19 points per game. He's closing in on that 50-40-90 slash line. I think he's at about 48 forty three and eighty eight on the campaign, a Nick Killer. And and so, you know, Norman Powell would be would be an excellent, excellent addition. Now he has a player option going into next year for eleven million dollars. The thought is is that he's gonna command way more than that on the open market and could decline that option going into the offseason. So with uh Ujiri already invested in Siakam, in Anobi and in Fred Van Vliet, there is thinking there that Norman Powell could shake out Seems like his trade market is certainly heating up. And so uh certainly someone that I would love to have on the Knicks. He's also a good defender. And as I said, you put him and RJ back there, RJ at the three, Norman Powell at the two, maybe even have him coming off the bench. He would certainly be an asset to this team. So uh certainly bears watching if Norman Powell could be could be obtained. I wouldn't trust it and Ujiri uh uh Knicks, you know, collaboration here. I'm not so sure on that <laughs> if, if that trade works in our favor, but
2: our certainly history. pick up
4: the phone and, and uh have a listen for sure.
2: <laughs> and once again, if you're you're just tuning in to this show, I'm Chris Williamson, joined by Ian Begley, Ryan McDonough, and CP the franchise. And how do you think the Knicks should approach the deadline? Should they make a big splash, small improvements, stand pat, or actually sell? Go to sny.tv/vote now for this week's fan choice presented by 888 Sport. Bet twenty dollars on the Knicks or Nets and get eighty-eight bucks in free bets. Free bets using promo code SNY88. And Ryan, let's look at the Knicks' current roster right now in your mind who is the next best trade chip as it stands right now
5: well, I think the best trade chips, uh, Chris, are the guys that they won't trade because they're so valuable and so good. I look at Julius Randle; the way he's played this year, he is my front runner, my favorite for most improved player in the league. I think what he's done, especially from a passing and playmaking perspective, uh, is really unusual. When you, when you look at guys when their assist numbers spike like that, and it leads to the team winning, uh, so I think he's become close to untouchable, uh, in my opinion, for the New York Knicks. And then I look at the young guys: three young guys—RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and Mitchell Robinson. Uh, I think it would take a lot for the Knicks to part with any of those guys. Uh, like CP was saying earlier in the show, I think it would take a guy like Bradley Beal, uh, who, who I don't think is going to be available over the next couple of days, for the Knicks to part with uh, one of those guys. So I think it's more likely, Chris, uh, that the Knicks hang on to Randall Barrett quickly and Robinson and maybe try to make some minor upgrades around the periphery uh, because, in my opinion, they're already ahead of schedule. That's very
2: well said. And, Ian, Akiva on YouTube asking – where did the Knicks stand with Kevin Knox? Because we've seen his production just dramatically dip year after year in the NBA.
3: So I, I, my read on that is since he's, he was started the year in the rotation, then he hasn't been in the rotation. My read on that is if there's a deal that comes along where the Knicks like the deal and the other team says Kevin Knox has to be a part of it. I don't think the Knicks hesitate uh, to move Kevin Knox if the right deal comes along, Uh, but I don't think they're out there, you know, looking to dump him because why would you, you have him uh, under contract for another year. One interesting thing though, is I assumed the same thing about Frank Nilekina because I assumed since he was out of the rotation, I assume Tom Thibodeau, you know, wasn't a fan of his. But I later learned that's not the case. Thibodeau actually, with Nilekina, you know, he believes there's a player in there. There's, there's a lot there that can be worked with. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, Nilekina is off limits because of that. I just say it to say that just because Thibodeau is not playing Kevin Knox, it doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't like Kevin Knox as a player.
2: Right. And there's a lot to see as the year unfolds with both of those players, both Kevin Knox and Frank Nilekina. CP, how, what is your outlook on Frank and his future with the Knicks. Because he makes splashes sometimes, but he just doesn't have that consistency factor that you're looking for.
4: It's been the same as previous years. You know, the potential is there. You see it there. But, you know, whether it's injury or inconsistent play, he just can't put it all together. There's no doubt that Frank can help this team, especially on the defensive end. He made his presence felt in that Nets game when we came back in that fourth quarter. Frank was all over it, you know, trying to slow down. Kyrie Irving ended up fouling out of that game. You know, Frank, he, he his impact is felt, especially on the defensive end. It's just on the offensive side of things where you just don't know what you're going to get from him. Is he a guy that's going to give you four three points? You know he's shooting fifty percent from the corner three once again this year. He's in the ninety third percentile. Low volume, but he's still up there. And but you know the next night he might give you zero points. He may he may give you get into foul trouble early in the game, so you just don't know if you can trust him. Kevin Knox, on the other hand, he had it going early. You know we gave him the nickname Corner Boy Kev because he was killing it from the corner threes, especially off <laughs> of Julius Randall's passes. I would love to see him playing more with R.J. Barrett and Julius in those lineups. And so I think Kev still has. Some some offense that can be unlocked. Remember, this guy was was rookie of the month in his rookie season back in December, averaging 17 points per game. So I think the potential is still there for Kev. You know, when you look at Ob Toppin, who's been struggling, he's given you absolutely negative contributions night in, night out. I think it's time to give Kev a look in place of Ob here. You know, Knicks want to win and they want to make the playoffs. I think it's time to to give Kevin Knox a look.
2: And somebody else besides Knox and Dale Aquino, who haven't been getting consistent minutes, is Austin Rivers for multitude of reasons. He's out again tonight against the Wizards, Ian. He hasn't played since February 13th. What is his status moving forward with the Knicks?
3: Right, so you know, ESPN had reported earlier this week that the expectation was Rivers was going to be traded or bought out, and I had confirmed that. I reached out to somebody last night, and they said that, you know, the Knicks and Rivers' representation at CAA are expected to kind of work together. To, to find the right home for Austin rivers and, you know, whether it's via trade or, or being bought out, I'm not sure, but it seems like their the momentum is going towards rivers, you know, not being here either post deadline or, or post uh, buyout season. And I think that the Knicks want to find him a good home because of the relationship. They feel that, you know, he did a good job for them. He filled, a role for them uh, when they needed it. So they don't want to, uh, you know, leave him in a bad spot. So it sounds like they're working together to get a resolution here. And then, you know, potentially you free up a roster spot if you're the Knicks and, and Rivers is elsewhere.
2: And hopefully, yeah, it can work out for both sides, as you mentioned. Remember to keep checking SNY.tv for the latest Knicks news and reports from Ian Begley to stay up to date as the trade deadline fastly approaches less than 48 hours away. Let's go back outside Knicks land and look around the league. Ryan, Camille888 on Twitter. If we sign Oladipo, do you see him as a part of a bigger deal down the line to acquire a Devin Booker? Yeah. It's just a hypothetical.
5: <laughs> well, I, I don't – I don't think the Suns are trading Devin Booker anytime soon, guys. Uh, I'm, I'm biased there since we drafted the young man and gave him a contract extension when I was GM of the team. Uh, but, look, they're rolling. I mean, they're one of the best teams in the league. They're second in the Western Conference, uh, trailing only the Utah Jazz. Uh, they're ahead of both super teams from L.A., the Lakers and Clippers. And Booker's on a long-term contract. So, as you guys can imagine, I get asked those kind of questions a lot, uh, especially relative to two players who are CAA clients, uh, Devin Booker and Carl Anthony Towns. And what I tell people is uh, those kind of scenarios I think become more realistic and more actionable closer to the end of the player's contract if the player's team is not playing well Um, that is not the case with Devin Booker he's still on the earlier part of his contract and his team the Phoenix Suns are one of the best in the league
2: once again for anybody who doesn't remember Ryan McDonough was Devin Booker's GM so he has a lot of knowledge and expertise about Booker one of the best players in the NBA and Ian one of the other guys who's come into the conversation pretty much all year long is Andre Drummond. What are the chances that he comes to New York?
3: Right. So I think it's it's not likely at this point because I think the more likely route is Drummond ends up getting bought out and ends up, you know, in LA or maybe Dallas or in Brooklyn. But, you know, there have been some reports about the Knicks considering internally the idea of obtaining Drummond and then signing him to a multi-year deal. You know, I checked around on that. I think it's another situation where I actually think, you know, uh, more more of the organization doesn't see Drummond as a fit. But there are, I think, some prominent voices who, who would like to see Drummond here. So, again, another situation similar to Alonzo, where there wasn't a consensus. But it seemed to me that, you know, the majority uh, uh, was not seeing Drummond as a fit. So, you know, things can change rapidly as ryan knows uh between now and thursday and in the aftermath uh so anything can happen but that was what i had heard leading up to today
2: cp what are your thoughts about Drummond possibly coming to new york and how that would look because it seems like it's not a a great fit you know on paper
4: not as high as some i mean obviously this is a guy that can get you points and a ton of rebounds we understand that but to me the next biggest need is at the point or at one of the wing spots. We need shooting in the worst way, and I just don't think he helps us, you know, with our weaknesses. We're one of the worst offenses, once again, in the league, especially in the half court, especially in transition. Um, Drummond, you know, it, it's not a comparison against Mitch. Obviously, we know he's a better player than Mitch, but I like Mitch's defensive versatility that he gives us out there. And when I think about R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle, their biggest needs is they need someone to help them space the floor. They need floor spacers, and I don't see Drummond coming in here and helping with that. As Ian and SNY had reported earlier as this- This week, the Knicks are not looking to shake up their chemistry, and I think you would have to do that to to bring in Andre Drummond and have him fit around those guys. So I would certainly pass and and, uh, look for the upgrades at the point or one of the wing positions. And,
2: Ryan, when when you're looking at trades during the deadline and what you're going to pull the trigger on and what you're not, how important is the chemistry factor and whether you're going to shake that up to get a better player but you might not have a great fit?
5: It's very important, Chris. The chemistry factor and the timeline. Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I think the Knicks are ahead of schedule. They're ahead of, I think, where the four of us, and even internally in the front office and coaching staff, they thought they would be. Uh, and that makes you less likely to to make a deal, especially to make a, a big deal, uh, unless it's a blockbuster like for a Bradley Beal. Uh, I don't think you know Beal will be traded over the next few days. Uh, so that's why I, I think a, a Drummond or somebody like that's unlikely. Probably even makes um, you know bigger names in the backcourt who I think would be more helpful to the New York Knicks, uh, like a. How Lowry, like a Victor Oladipo, uh, less likely. Again, keep in mind, they can just sign those guys next offseason with an improved team, being in New York with cap space, with the Knicks on the rise. I think they'll have a compelling recruiting pitch led by Leon Rose and World Wide West. So I I don't see a blockbuster deal. Uh, One other final point, Chris um, from a front office perspective, it's hard for the Knicks to to match some salaries, especially at the high end, uh, because they don't want to include Julius Randle and they don't have a lot of other big contracts to stack up. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, they're the only team. Team in the league that still has significant salary cap space.
2: That's very true. And of course, this is the preview of the trade deadline, but you know, we have to recap it. Show, that show will be Friday at noon, Ian CP, and I will be joined by longtime scout Michael Vandergaard to discuss what moves the Knicks did or didn't make and look ahead to the rest of the regular season. That's Friday at noon on SNY's Facebook, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And Ian, Ryan brought up Julius Randle. He has cemented himself as a star and the leader of this team. You're a huge fan Of gangster movies, right? So what would it take? Would it take a godfather offer, one that Leon Rose could not refuse to move Randall at the deadline?
3: Yeah, I think it would. It would have to be, you know, one of the players Ryan mentioned earlier, like a Towns or a Booker. or He didn't mention Donovan Mitchell. But, you know, a player like that, I think, would have to be coming back to New York for Julius to be heading out. And it's it's such a fascinating dynamic because, you know, I think, just from what other teams were saying, when the Knicks were gonna were drafting Obi Top and drafted Obi Top and I think the thinking then was, you know, eventually they're moving Julius Randle or they're gonna move on from Julius Randle and Obi will be that guy. That's you know, that's what other that's how other teams saw it. But now, with the way Randall's played this year, you're not moving on from him if you're the Knicks. You're gonna try to have him as a foundational piece for you moving forward. And so that means, you know, re signing him to to a new deal. And it also means you know, finding people, finding players that fit best around him. And that's fantastic, man. It's tremendous. Julius Randle deserves so much credit for the leap that he's made. And the idea that he can handle New York, I think, is important to people in the organization. But it makes you wonder about Obi Toppin because if Julius Randle is one of your centerpieces and he's playing, you know, a ton of minutes, getting a ton of shots – where does Obi fit in there? Is there, is there a, a role for him? And so that's just one of the fascinating dynamics to me with this Knicks team moving forward.
2: Yeah, going back to Randall, it's, it's so funny because I had the exact same thought when they drafted Obi Toppin. It's like, okay, they're eventually going to move on from Randall, and then he has such a great first half of the season. He continues it in the second half. And CP, the Cooler on Twitter asks, do you think the Knicks regret passing on Halliburton for Obi Toppin? CP, you there? Okay, looks like looks like we lost CP. I'll ask you, Ryan. Do you think the Knicks regret drafting Obi Toppin instead of Mr. Halliburton, who's been very fantastic for the Kings?
5: Yeah, Chris, I think Tyrese Halliburton is now one of the front runners for Rookie of the Year. Uh, we'll see what happens with LaMelo Ball. Um, LaMelo has played the fewest percentage of games ever by a player who uh, may win Rookie of the Year. In fact, Patrick Ewing, we're going all the way back to the mid 80s. Ewing played about 61% of his games. Um, LaMelo Ball has played fewer percentage of his games than that. I think he played 41 of 72, assuming he does not come back this year. Uh, and I bring it up because I, I think Halliburton is now the front runner for Rookie of the Year, uh, either here, Anthony Edwards. In Minnesota, will get the attention. Uh, so short term, clearly Halliburton has played better. Um, but what I will say, guys, is these things are judged over time and over a number of years. I know how that. That's not how we, uh, you know. View- view most things in our uh, snap judgment society. Um but but guys develop at different levels. Uh we talked a lot about Julius Randle. Uh he, he's gotten a lot better as his career's gone on. Uh Devin Booker, who we were talking about earlier in the show, when I was GM of the Suns really had some DNPs the first half of his rookie year. Uh so I'd encourage any Knicks fans, especially those who are getting impatient, uh to 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 wait before making any snap judgments on Obi Toppin.
2: Yeah, but that's what New York York Knicks fans do. They always make those snap judgments, very uh, knee-jerk reactions. And Ian, in your mind, how do you see Obi Toppin's future with the Knicks right now? And to Ryan's point, it's still very early in his career. But obviously, the expectations that people had on him, uh, he's not meeting those right now.
3: I I agree with Ryan. It's early. I would never make a judgment on a player after half a rookie season. Uh, But that being said, to me, it's not so much what Obi can or can't be or will or won't be it's just his role here if if you're keeping julius randall which i think they are and and randall is one of your centerpieces just where does Obi fit and and is he you know coming off the bench in a way that allows him to play significant minutes in a significant role around randall i don't know i mean it, it seems to me like it's just there's an overlap there and i don't know how you get around it so Uh, whatever OB is going to be down the line, I think obviously is important to the Knicks, but they also have to answer the question or solve the, the equation of where does he fit if Julius Randle is our guy long-term.
2: Yeah. Trying to make all the pieces in the puzzle fit for a very fruitful organization. And CP, glad to have you back on the show. Uh, Avery on Twitter asked, do the Knicks see Mitchell Robinson as an expendable player?
4: Uh, that's a good question, man, because, you know, you're looking at extending Randall soon within the next few years, right? Obviously, R.J. Barrett's going to be a candidate there. So where do they make that investment? You know, I, I think with Mitch, he has about one or two years left on his contract. I see them playing it out, you know, play it out and see what the market holds for him, see how he develops along, the, along those years. Obviously, we know defensively he's there, but is there more to his offense that, that can be unlocked? To me, I'd love to keep him. I, I think Mitch is a the guy they got him as a steal late in the second round back in that draft, I think Mitch is a guy that I would like to see here with the organization continue to build on the Tom Thibodeau's leadership, Kenny Payne as well, and build that around the core with R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, Emmanuel Quickly, and you know whoever those draft picks are coming down the line.
2: And going off of that, Brian, Camille on Twitter is asking, do you see the Knicks extending or offering Mitch a very sizable contract uh, extension this summer?
5: They could, Chris, but it would surprise me a little bit uh, just because I think we need to see more of what Robinson can do, especially under Tom Thibodeau. Uh, keep in mind Thibodeau's track record, especially with talented defensive big men. Uh, when we were with the Celtics together with Kevin Garnett, um, th- that was a historically good defense. And then in Chicago, what he did with Joe Noah, anchoring that Bulls defense. So I think Robinson has that kind of talent and that kind of potential. Uh, but I'm guessing Leon Rose and the guys in the front office want to see him do it more on a consistent basis and also see if he can stay healthy before she- selling out the big dollars in a contract extension.
2: Yeah, you've got to see the production. You've got to see that consistent production. If you're not healthy, then you're not going to see that. Uh, Ian, I'll go to you now. What do you see uh, in the future for Mitchell Robinson and uh, the Knicks?
3: Well, what I had heard you know, earlier this year was I think the, the idea of extending Mitch was under consideration by some people in the front office, but I think it was predicated on the idea of them spending a lot of their cap space on other free agents this past off season. And then, you know, you'd be locked into, let's just call it Gordon Hayward and and somebody else. So it would make sense to then lock in Robinson at an extension that if he outplays it is, is team friendly. Uh, But obviously they didn't do that. They maintain their cap space moving forward. So I think it's, it is a wait and see approach. And I think, you know, uh, Ryan mentioned it. I think they're going to wait and see as much as they can about Mitchell Robinson, what he is, what he potentially can be, what he can't be, before they make that decision. And I, so I, I think that we're, you know, we're going to find out more now that Robinson's back from the hand injury, assuming he stays healthy. He's going to play down the stretch here. We're going to find out more about him, and, and the Knicks will have more to look at, more to evaluate as they go into making that decision in the offseason. I, I I do think that there are you know, big Mitchell Robinson fans in the organization. There are people who would want to see him here long term. Um, But it's a new regime. So new regimes look at things differently. So I think it's a a TBD on Mitch.
2: All right. We'll be very close to see what happens as the year progresses. And Ryan, the Knicks have so many draft picks over the next few years. When you're looking at the trade deadline, how much of an impact does that have when you have so many draft picks in your in your holster?
5: Yeah, ideally, Chris, you'd like to space those out a little bit more so they all don't hit at the same time. Uh, We ran into that issue in Phoenix, trying to develop a number of young players, and uh, on the show, we've talked about the Knicks' young core, uh, Emmanuel, Quickly, Mitchell Robinson, R.J. Barrett. Uh, So I wouldn't be surprised if the Knicks either consolidate those draft picks, combine a couple together to move up in the draft to get one specific player, or if that's not available, roll them over till future years. Uh, Keep in mind, if you kick a draft pick out to the future, it's easier to trade uh, either in the offseason or into next season. Uh, So I think that's what the Knicks will look at, again, they're ahead of schedule, uh, but the way to stay ahead of schedule and to accelerate uh, their growth curve is not to bring in a bunch of young players and try to develop them. Uh, The Knicks want to win, and uh, I think with the way they're headed and what they're potentially able to do in free agency with the cap space, uh, I I don't see them drafting and trying to develop a bunch of young players. I I see them using those picks more as chips and assets to try to improve their team in the short term.
2: Yeah, and that would be very smart of them to do. And, Ian, some Knicks fans may be – may be wondering what the Nets may do. What are they looking at for the deadline?
3: Yeah, it's been reported here and elsewhere, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie. I think that's the name that's probably uh, most likely to be traded for Brooklyn. And, you know, I know that Denver, excuse me, Detroit has, some, has had some interest, Miami to a degree as well. Other teams, I'm sure, are interested. The idea with Dinwiddie, though, is obviously he's going to be or plans on being, I think, a free agent and turning down his player option so any team that trades for him has to do so with the idea that they're going to re-sign him to a long-term deal or they may be comfortable to, uh Doing, uh, excuse me, acquiring him, letting him walk, but that wouldn't make sense because he's not coming back this year. So it's just an interesting scenario with Dinwiddie and the Nets and the suitors over there. And, you know, if Dinwiddie remained a net, the Nets would have to pay him when he hits free agency, and that would mean a big luxury tax bill. So I would expect Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, to at least, you know, be among these conversations with the Nets as we get closer to Thursday. Wouldn't be surprised if he gets moved. Outside of that, uh, I think, you know, they're going to be in that big man market, whether it's Uh, post-deadline buyout or before Thursday at 3. I don't see Drummond as likely headed there. I'm curious to see what happens with JaVale McGee. Maybe that's a fit in Brooklyn. So I think those are the things you're looking at if you're the Nets. So,
2: CP, that's what's going on in Nets land. What's one move you like to see the Knicks make by the Thursday 4 p.m. deadline?
4: If they can get Powell, that'd be great, man. If they can get Norman Powell, that would be ideal. You know, the Lonzo thing, I'm just a little bit leery of of paying twice. I consider it paying twice when you have to shell out uh, assets and then have to sign the guy in the off season. There's reports out there that he's looking northward of $20 million per year in his next deal. So while I do feel like Lonzo's a good fit, I'm a little bit cautious on that one. Norman Powell, I think, is a guy that you can slide in right away. You have that cap space. You can sign him in the off season. If he chooses to decline that player option, as I said, he's closing in on that 50-40-90 slash line, plays defense as well, and he can slot right in. So Norman Powell is is the name that I'm looking at by Thursday's deadline.
2: Yeah, he would be a great addition to the Knicks' current roster. And Ryan, do you think there's going to be any big splash by the time the trade deadline ends?
5: I think the biggest move in the NBA this year, Chris, in-season was the deal that already happened in the team that we were just talking about with James Harden uh, going from Houston to Brooklyn. Obviously Brooklyn's gone up, uh, Houston's gone down. Uh, So, no, I I don't think there'll be a huge move. The biggest names I think that could be moved uh, are Kyle Lowry in Toronto uh, and Victor Oladipo uh, in Houston. Um, But, again, the the challenge is uh, when you have marquee teams like the New York Knicks and like the Miami Heat who have free agent cap space next offseason, they don't want to give up a whole lot. I I thought CP had a great phrase for it. You don't want to pay twice. You don't want to give up a, a young player and or draft picks and then have to pay the guy a lot uh, when you can just wait and play him a lot. Uh, New York and Miami are destination markets, uh, as you guys know. So I, I think those teams will be uh, very hesitant to give up their best assets. If you're in the next front office or the heat front office, I think you're more likely to just wait, see who's available in the buyout market, and then try to make your big splash in free agency this offseason.
2: Right. Take a measured approach instead of you know going all out and, and Predicting or doing a risky uh, type of move. All right, Ian, uh, we're back Friday at noon. What will we be talking about at the start of the show? Set up some of a like of a prediction in your mind what the Knicks might do. Uh,
3: my my best guess right now would be we're talking about what they're going to do with that open roster spot if Boston Rivers uh, is sent out, and then we're talking about how this roster looks moving forward, going into free agency, and then what we're gonna, we're also going to be talking about potential. Uh, draft prospects that might fit with the Knicks because uh, Michael has been been studying those those younger classes for a while now I don't think we we'll gonna be talking about a major deal here you know if the price drops for Alonzo Ball you know maybe uh, maybe the Knicks get serious about that maybe they change course but again everything I had heard uh, as far as late last week and leading up to late last week was that they were unlikely to make a big splash.
2: All right, thank you so much all, Ian, Ryan, CP, for great perspective and insight. Always brings the personality and insight to get people thinking. That's going to do it for this edition of The Putback. Our thanks to Ryan McDonough of Radio.com and CP of Knicks Fan TV. We'll be back Friday at noon to recap everything from the trade deadline. But for now, keep it locked on SNY and SNY.tv for the latest on the Knicks. And that's for Ian Begley. I'm Chris Williamson. See you Friday on The Putback.